And uh, we're in our The Kingdom is This series. And I guess the whole thought being that Jesus' message was about the kingdom of God. We've often made it, and I'm shooting through my notes here, but we've often made it such an individual thing that we could think this is all about us. And it is wonderful. Remember what I said last week, that our salvation is very personal, but it's anything but exclusive. It's very personal, but it's anything but individualistic. And we can really miss that if we're not careful. So we're going to just keep delving into what is the kingdom. And today, I actually want to look at heaven. Because that's a pretty big topic, isn't it? Wouldn't you think? It seems to be what Christians have focused on for a long, long time. This is all about getting into heaven. Or something like that. Uh, And it's funny because Jesus actually didn't speak a lot about that. And he certainly didn't talk about heaven the way that we talked about heaven. Most of the time. Sometimes he did, but most of the time he seemed to be talking about something else. And I guess that's where I want to go today. Where we've been so far is God's not finished with me yet. How good was that? That was encouraging. The fact that God is patient with our chaos. (laughs) Come on, who's a little bit chaotic at times? Um, Richo is until he has coffee and then he's good. Uh, And that God's happy to speak life. Even to our chaos, God always speaks life. Uh, last week we looked at, and, and honestly, if you didn't watch this or see this, don't take what I'm about to say the wrong way. Get a hold of, get on YouTube and watch it. But the kingdom of God is discriminatory in all the right kind of ways. And we tried to, I guess in a sense, recapture the true meaning of a word that has been totally colonised to mean something other than what it really means. So if that uh, makes your ears prick up, then you need to watch last week. Now we're going to Mark chapter 1. Cool? Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel. I'm going to explain these terms as we go. The gospel simply means good news of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Okay? Again, explaining that word. Change the way you think. Repent does not mean feel sad. That's not what it means. It means change the way you think and take a different direction. That's what Jesus was saying. So basically God's kingdom is right here upon you. And so change the way you think and change direction and believe or trust in the good news. In one sense, Jesus was saying, trust that the news is as good as what you think it is. I reckon he said that because he was saying news that was so good they couldn't quite believe it's true. Come on, who's seen some of those internet ads and stuff and you think that's just too good to be true? And you're probably right. And so Jesus was actually reassuring them, it is as good as it sounds. So... um, I'm pretty sure there's no more important topic than this. This, this was Jesus' message. This is what the Bible said he came preaching. Not how to get to heaven, but how heaven could get in you. <laughs> okay, big difference. And in evangelical Pentecostal circles, you know, we've really over-personalized this to make it about us in so many ways. And it is true that it's about us, but that is just the beginning of a much bigger story called the kingdom. 
And a kingdom, if I could define it really quickly, is simply a place where a king rules. Now, this is normally geographical, but in the context of Jesus' teaching, it's not geographical. We can put it this way. Uh, Jesus' kingdom is any place in the human heart that's been surrendered to Christ. There's a little bit of the kingdom right there. Okay, now who's worked out that you might surrender one room, it doesn't mean he gets the whole house straight away. Okay, who, who did God sneak into your life? You just opened a little bit, generally the chaos, the messy bit, you just want him to fix something for you. And then you work out he's determined to take over. I need the honest people are laughing with me, Linda, so you're obviously very, either that or we are just chief of sinners right here. But it's like, well, I want God to fix some things for me, but I don't actually want him to have everything. And then you just realize it doesn't work that way. Jesus loves you too much to leave you where you are and continuously calls us to change the way we think and sometimes to change direction with it. Also, the kingdom could be defined as any space which Christ-centered actions are occurring. It's another way of looking. What's the kingdom of God? Well, it's a place in the human heart that's surrendered because the king rules there. And it's a place where Christ-centered actions are happening. Things are happening because of the nature of Christ manifesting through people. Any moment of personal surrender, when we say, not my will, your will be done, there's a little bit of the kingdom, a little flash of the kingdom right there. A care package given to a struggling family is a glimpse into the kingdom. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Why would we give away free food to someone? Because they're hungry and they're made in the image of God. And that makes it a really good thing to do. And right there, the kingdom of God is just a little bit. It's just a glimpse, an insight into what God wants to do in the earth. A kind word spoken to a stranger to encourage them. When it's motivated by Christ in you, that's a manifestation of the kingdom. They might not even believe what you believe. That doesn't matter. When you're motivated by Christ to care or to love or to speak into something, I think God is smiling at that point. So we're in our, the kingdom is this. And as I said, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven is used interchangeably by Jesus. It's the same term. Basically, in the book of Matthew, he'll use kingdom of heaven so he doesn't go near the God name for the Jews. But all we need to really understand it is it is synonymous. It is the same. It's often assumed by us, and and I want to say this, and I guess I've already sort of intimated, but, you know, in all of this talk of the kingdom, I haven't been talking about going to heaven. It's often assumed that that's what you're talking about when you're talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. I want to go to another passage now, Matthew chapter 19. And just by the way, we're going reasonably well time-wise. That is unbelievable for me. Okay. Matthew, but there's still three quarters of a sermon left, so don't get too excited. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, and then 23 through 24. uh, It says, now behold, one came to him and said, this is the rich young ruler. We looked at it uh, two weeks ago as well. The rich young ruler, he comes to him and says, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I might have in eternal life? 
And of course, they have this conversation. He goes away sad. Jesus basically says, uh, sell everything that you've got, give to the poor. And what he was focusing in on was one of the commandments that he didn't ask this young guy. He asked him every commandment and he could tick the box, tick the box, tick the box. Jesus didn't ask him about the last commandment, which is not to covet. But what he said instead was, sell your great riches, give to the poor and follow me. And it was just revealing that to this guy that his whole security was in his riches. It wasn't in God. So that's the context of this. And after he leaves unhappy, Jesus says to his disciples, assuredly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It does not mean that you can't. The next verse, someone pointed out to me last week, which I really appreciated, because I I guess you can't always preach everything in a passage. But the next verse says, but with God all things are impossible. So Jesus is not saying if you've got money, you can't get to heaven. He's not saying that. What he's actually teaching on is it's really hard if you trust riches. Because if you've got a lot of riches and you can fall back on that, the temptation is you no longer trust God. Because I'm very good, thank you very much. I'm a self-made man. That's actually more what this passage is about. And so what what I want to draw attention to, his initial question is, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus actually says, it's hard to get into the kingdom of heaven. Eternal life, kingdom of heaven, they actually seem to be synonymous here. So he is actually talking about what we perceive as heaven. To be in God's presence forever. Could we just make heaven that? Okay, without getting too descriptive just yet. So both concepts here are interchangeable. Eternal life and kingdom. But perhaps the most helpful way to see this, instead of actually, uh, you know, two separate states of being, there's this kingdom of God thing, there's this heaven thing, one day in the future, it's actually a continuum Eternal life begins now. Eternal life can begin for you the moment you actually trust Jesus. That's how you enter the kingdom. You you go, you know what? I'm sick of trying to work this out by myself. God, I'm going to trust you. And I just throw myself at your feet. Do with me what you will. But just have this much. And then as I said, as you walk with Jesus, it's like, can I just have a little bit more? Just like the rich young ruler. This one thing. This one thing. Open another door to another room. And God begins to grow within you. But it all begins, eternal life begins in an instant, in a blink. It's a... New Testament says we're translated from darkness to light. Boom. It's like, oh, they've still got a lot of darkness. But there's this seed that Jesus trusts that will continue to grow and actually fill the whole house. The kingdom of God is like a little mustard seed that grows up into a great tree. And if you let God have his way, that's what your life looks like after a few decades. It begins to look like a tree that's flourishing. So these concepts are it's synonymous in a way, but probably best seen as a continuum, our eternal life beginning now. Then he calls us to manifest what's going on on the inside of us to the outside world. Uh, James says it this way, you say you've got faith, I'll show you my faith by my works. Manifest this kingdom. Don't just say you're a believer. It's not enough. One of, the, one of the worst sayings, I think, in our society, one of the most demonic sayings I've ever heard. Do you want to know what it is? Religion's a private thing. It couldn't be less private in Scripture. Come on. 
Yes, Jesus was very private about his faith. <laughs> they killed him for it, for being so private about his faith. No. And so God then calls us. Hey, this is, isn't just about you, but now this is about the kingdom in you. Something's happening. Eternal life has begun, but now this rule and reign that's in you, I want it to begin spilling out and actually affecting everything around you, which is beautiful. And then when we die and go to heaven, which has often been the sum total of our understanding of heaven, when we die and go to heaven, we're on a continuum and the trajectory that we've set in this life just continues on. The relationship the desire you've had for God, it just continues on, unfettered. Isn't it wonderful? It's terrible news if you haven't set yourself a good trajectory. It's wonderful news if you have. And I'm not talking about eternal judgment or anything. I'm just saying, don't you want to enter on a good trajectory? And that's literally what the kingdom is, letting God. This is why transformation is critical. Obedience, repentance, Lord, not my will, your will be done. So that one day when all of a sudden this all wraps up, whether we get hit by a bus or we just die a wonderful natural old death, one day, we, we, as our good friend Shane Willard would say, we don't get whiplash entering heaven because it is something we have never experienced before. It might be indescribable, but it is experiential now. So lots of the uh, pictures that we get out of Scripture are writings about streets of gold. Who's read any of that? Gates of pearl. You know, and if you look at that literally, you miss what the writer's saying. Totally. If you think that you're going to walk on streets of gold, you miss it. What he's actually saying is, I got a glimpse of heaven and I can't even describe it but I'll give it my best shot and I'll try and put some sort of human stuff around it so that we can comprehend it with our tiny little minds. That's what the the writers of Scripture are trying to do there. Interestingly enough, if we look at heaven, talking about future now, first century Jewish thought is this concept of the age to come, alam habar, this age to come where things will be set in order where God's rule and reign will be for all people and there will be justice, there will be mercy for all. That's that original thought. And then the other thought that we probably have in our minds is pop culture thought of what heaven is. Most of it generated by extra-biblical writings, Renaissance art and Hollywood. It's just insane where we get our images and our pictures of what the future might be, an eternal future. Interestingly, respected Jewish scholars, and I think we should listen to them because actually they kind of owned the first half of the Bible. Okay, So when they talk about it, they say whatever the actual, you know, whatever school of thought they fit into, they pretty well all have a consensus that it's impossible for the human mind to comprehend. But But there's some things that we... We do know. Here's a couple of things we do know. You want to know a couple of things about heaven? And I mean heaven up there somewhere. Out there somewhere, right? Here's a couple of things we know that we know. It's going to be good. Right? Because God created it. And everything God created is good. So we are reassured it's all good. Okay? That's one thing. The second thing is it's healing. 
And it's healing on so many levels. Who, who here, if you're going to be really honest, who here has that internal wrestle of wanting to be more like Jesus and frustrated you just can't be? No matter how hard you try, you're a really poor imitation of Jesus. Sometimes the harder you try, the worse you get. I mean, it's bad. Sometimes you're just better off admitting you're a sinner and relaxing in grace and letting him grow you. You know, true? Well, here's one of those things. That tension will be removed. We know that. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. John says, we don't know what we're going to be. But on that day, we know this. We'll be made like him. For we shall see him face to face. So this, this thought of this transformational moment where the tension of not being who I need to be is swallowed up by grace and changed. And that tension that we feel is gone. Wow. Come on. Who's, who's going to happy, happy, happy days, happy days. Um, Another thought with it, and both of these out of the book of Revelation, uh, so that if you can look beyond dragons and scary stories and, and looking at the main story, the main story says things like this, God will wipe every tear from your eye. That's going to be a good day. Some of the griefs that we all experience in life, broken relationships, lost children, lost opportunity. There's, been, there's a lot of grief in this world, isn't there? be nice for someone to wipe every tear well that's going to happen in heaven there's a tree there that's leaves are for the healing of the nations it sounds like a good place to be so so we we've got these pictures in a sense to try and help us comprehend that God is good and God's future for us is good but here's the problem with that if we think that's all heaven is Holding that one-dimensional concept has kept good Christians in park for centuries. They just parked it, pulled the handbrake on, hanging out at the rapture bus stop, waiting for God to come back. If you have a one-dimensional concept of what God wants to do in your life, they're actually missing. If you do that, you miss the very message Jesus was preaching. It totally ignores the prayer he taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on as it is in heaven. If you don't have a hope for heaven and kingdom here, you adopt a hell in a handbasket approach. You become cynical, critical, hopeless, and just escapist. Get me out of here, God. It's too tough. And it is tough. There's people in this room that can testify just how tough it is. So why even talk about heaven? Why even talk about some future place, maybe? Why even talk about that? Because it is future hope. Ultimately, I think that if we're spiritual people, if we stop, take time to stop, and, and I'm not even talking now about Christian believers. I mean, if we're just a little bit spiritually attuned, we all know this is going somewhere. I've done too many funerals. I've sat in too many hospital rooms and held someone's hand while they pass away for me not to believe there's more. Because yeah. you know it when you're in the room and someone dies. You know it in that instant. Because they're still there. But there's no way in the world they're still there. Circumstances didn't change much. A machine stopped beeping maybe. That's it. Everything else is exactly the same as it was a second ago and yet there is something so significantly different in that room, in that moment. And we all know it inherently. 
God has put faith in the heart of every man, whether you believe or not. You're a spiritual person. Song of Songs says this, God has placed eternity in the hearts of men and women. We just know it. Scripture reassures us there is more. Faith reaches out and touches it. And it's called heaven. But it begins now. So let's look at kingdom of heaven now. And I'm only like five minutes late. <laughs> you doing okay? We're only a couple of minutes off. Kingdom of heaven now. I've got to go really quickly. Let's look at the location. Who would like to know the location of the kingdom of God now? I've already given it to you. Jesus affirms it. He says, don't let anyone tell you, go here or go there. Oh, you should go to that church down the road. Oh, you should go to that revival meeting. Oh, you should go to that. Don't let anyone tell you that. And Christians still do it. Buy air tickets to do it. Why? For the kingdom of God is within you. Listen, the kingdom of God is not something that can happen to you. It's something that must happen in you. And that can happen in you no matter where you are. You don't need a special meeting for that. It's called surrender. And it initiates the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. Powerful meetings are great, but it's a fallacy to pursue them rather than to simply plant yourself and grow. Lasting change can't happen in you, it must, sorry, to you, it must happen in you. Jesus didn't preach, go to a heavenly kingdom. What he preached was, this heavenly kingdom has come to you. Enter in. Here it is. The kingdom of God has come near. Near. Sorry. I was waiting for the response, Jade, and I thought... <laughs> so I didn't mean to wake up. It's okay. No. Hey, come on. He's the father of a small child. He's got an excuse. Enter into the kingdom. I mean, when you look at Jesus, remember at Christmas time, I sort of really hammered the incarnation thought. And, and I sort of have, have had another thought on that. And this is, you know, God in flesh, the incarnation. It's, it's, it wasn't just this wonderful event where God came to humanity in the form of a, a child. It's actually a pattern for us. The kingdom of God is in you. Now you do what Christ did for humanity, except it's the opposite. Instead of him representing God to us, now we're representing God to others. So we incarnate him. Genesis, now, now we're going to go to the Bible, okay? The other scripture was just there to get us started. You're ready to go to Genesis again. Remember, we've been in Genesis. And I just want to look at this concept of the tangibility of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, what kingdom is. Genesis chapter 1, verse 6 and 8, it says, Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which are under the firmament from the waters which are above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. This is the first mention of heaven in Scripture. Okay, so it's a very important theological understanding that the, the law of first mention, when something first appears, it sets a pattern. Heaven is described as firmament. The Hebrew word is rakia. Who'd like to say that with me? Rakia. Yeah, not kia, rakia. 
which to the Hebrew mind was solid. It held the waters above back. In other words, heaven was tangible before it was anything else in our imagination. The first imagination of heaven was it was tangible. It was touchable. It was physical. That's the first understanding the concept. And the kingdom of heaven that Jesus preached fits in this frame in his first century theology. It's a not of this earth, yet in this earth kind of thing. Have you heard that thought before from Jesus? You are in this world, but not of it. It's otherworldly in a sense. I'm just going to finish by trying to give us a couple of examples of how this might look. Heaven, heaven. Chris, what are you talking about? I'm talking about what God's doing in you, what God's doing through you, what is tangible, what is physical, what is right here, right now, that, by the way, we can be accountable for. The Christianity, that's just like, I've got my ticket, now I'm hanging out at the rapture bus stop. Oh, come back and get me, God, it's so difficult. It's totally unaccountable. That's what James was. James was attacking the super spiritual ones who were saying, I've believed all the right stuff, I've ticked the box, thank you very much. And James is like, show me. Say you believe, show me. Show it with your life. Where's the transformation? Where's the compassion? Where's the generosity? Where's the love? Where's the encouragement? Not interested in you believing the right stuff. I want to see whether God's done something in your life. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. Paul puts it this way when talking about the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Everyone go, ah. Gee, that hits our society hard at the moment, doesn't it? The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but... Keep your hope there, because I'm coming back to that. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Here's the interesting thing. It might not be, the kingdom is not food and drink. Can we, can we agree with that? It's not that. But it's amazing how the kingdom generally starts with tangibility. With, with something physical. It generally starts there. So it might not actually just be food and drink, but when you're having food and drink, sometimes the kingdom is present. I mean, we've even been given communion. If the kingdom's not food and drink, then why do we worry about remembering Jesus that way? Because something deeper happens in the tangibility. I guess the thought is if we're prepared to manifest tangibility, God can do something. If we can do something in physical space, God can do something in spiritual space. Think about Zacchaeus. Okay, so just a few examples. Think about Zacchaeus. I mean, we know that Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a difficult man. Worked for the Roman government, collecting taxes from his own people. He was sold out. He was a traitor. He was all of those things. He was hated and despised by his community because he had made money off the backs of his own people. Right, that's Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus somehow hears about Jesus and decides, I need to see him. So Zacchaeus leaves his comfortable home. He's a short little fella. And so he has to climb a tree so that he can actually spot Jesus. But isn't it interesting? He did the physical act, but then something else happened. Jesus actually spotted him. I think he was expecting to spot Jesus. I don't think he was expecting Jesus to spot him. Come on, is that anyone else's story when you turned up in church? I was talking to someone last week who did not want to be here. 
and certainly did not want to enjoy being here, but got caught out. It's like, I just want to go and see a little bit of what's happening, and Jesus spotted them. But the tangibility in the physical act came from the person. Think about the woman who gets healed with the issue of blood. If I could just squeeze through the crowd and touch the hem of his garment. So there's this physical act of physicality, something tangible. I will touch him. And of course, when she touched him, he wasn't even looking to pray for her, was he? He didn't even know where the power had gone. All he knew is that power had flowed out of him. So he turns to the disciples and says, who touched me? And they're like, everyone's touching you. It's a crowd, Jesus. We can hardly move. He's like, no, no. No, someone, someone touched me. There was faith in that touch. It wasn't just a physical thing, but there was another dimension in that touch as faith was released. And of course, the woman is healed. The lame man at the temple gate for Peter and John. Remember the lame man? Silver and gold I, have, I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he not only rises up and walks, what ends up? Joy comes. He's leaping for joy, telling everyone about what happened to him. But what happened first? What happened first is someone had to tangibly, you know, I don't have much, but I'll take, well, there you go, Josh. And he sorry. raised him up. <laughs> Kaboom. And uh, sorry, Josh, you can sit down again. Um, gee, Josh was good at that. Like, how good was that? Come on, let's, let's encourage Josh. Mate, you're the best lame man leaping I've ever seen. But I guess the point is, the kingdom of God is not the physical stuff. It's not the food and the drink. But in the midst of the physical stuff, the kingdom can manifest. Think about how many times the kingdom of God is not food and drink. Think about how many times Jesus invited himself to dinner or was found at a feast or a wedding or somewhere where people were eating and drinking and the kingdom was not in the food, but it was in what was happening under the tangibility I hope I'm making sense to someone today. If we just take, I guess what I'm saying is if we would just take the steps of adding tangibility to our faith, the kingdom can manifest right there, right there. Now, last week I heard this story. This is where I'm going to close. I'm going to close, darling. I'm going to close it because I'm only four minutes and a half over. Okay. Which is probably the length of the whole service, come to think of it, isn't it? Yes. So Dave and Tina... Johnston, are you guys here anywhere? There they are, <laughs> Dave and Tina. And they're going, oh, Dave and Tina, this is a story I heard about you. Tell them, sing out if it's not true. But um, I heard that they were in church last week. They were just in the gathering. And, um, and I think someone said, turn around and say hello to the person behind you. And there was someone who was their first time in church at New Hope. Let's give it up for them. Right? <laughs> and they just said hello. This person must have told them a little bit of their story. And they just said, well, why don't you come back to our place for lunch? Okay? And so they went back to their place for lunch. Uh, but by the time they sat down to have lunch, there was 22 people at their table. Now, I don't know how you did that. I don't know how you advertised that. I don't know whether... This guy was part of a, tra a, a visiting football team and he just brought these mates. But I'm like, and I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened over that dinner table. 
Uh, I do know there was seven barbecue chickens, uh, which, which Dave assured me he's been eating the leftovers all week. But there was barbecue chickens and there was salad and there was whatnot. And I'm sure Tina was a very gracious host and made everyone feel welcome and at home. Um, and, and I don't know the detail of what happened, but I guarantee you, I can guarantee you, because that was motivated by a desire to please Christ, by simply helping some people connect with the body of Christ. I guarantee you at that kitchen table, at some point, the kingdom of God was manifest in their kitchen. But it all started with a physical act. It starts with our time. It starts with our emotional quotient, our willingness to help, the gifts God's given us, our finances, resources, our home space, whatever we have that's tangible. The kingdom can manifest there. Heaven was initially a physical context. It was a physical concept. And we can actually see heaven come through our lives when we take simple steps of faith motivated by the Spirit of Christ. We take tangible steps. We do physical things, visible things. They don't have to be flashy things. Come to my place and have barbecue chicken is, uh, is an awesome deal for Aussies because, I mean, there is nothing better for Sunday lunch than barbecue chicken and chips on, on fresh bread. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. Someone I know will say you've got to have coleslaw. Personally, yeah, I don't mind. Coleslaw gravy doesn't matter. Either way, it is the best meal. But you know what? That's a simple meal, isn't it? And I'm thinking, 22, what did that look like? What did that sound like? I know the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but I think the kingdom of God was manifest there because of food and drink. (laughs) Amen. I'm going to ask us some questions. You okay? You're at the end. You can breathe a sigh of relief. How has the kingdom entering my life shaped me? It's a good question to ask, hey? Some of us have been on this journey for quite a while. How has the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, entering my life shaped me? How does the kingdom manifesting through my life affect my circles of influence? Is there any sort of tangible impact? I I think if we took a note from James, we'd have to be able to say, "I, I think that's it. We've got to be able to point to something and say, I, I think this is part of it. Don't think this is all of it, but, but I, I can see the effect. There's some things have shifted, some things have changed, some things are better simply because Christ has motivated me to be a different person than what I would be without him. So how have we affected our circles of influence, our family, our workplace, our neighbourhood, the playgroup, the school, the workshop floor? Wherever we find ourselves, our station of life, how has the kingdom shaped that through us? Maybe a question really relevant for right now. Where could I bring a little bit of heaven today? Where could I bring a little bit of heaven this week? Where could I bring a little bit of patience, a little bit of forgiveness, a little bit of understanding, a little bit of encouragement? a little bit of life? Where, where could I do that with full intentionality this week? Could we just stop for a moment and you can close your eyes so you don't have to look at me. But it's like, just have a think about 
your connections this week and just where's the spot that you could bring a little bit of heaven it's going to be different it's going to be different because what's in you is going to come out of you in a tangible way and finally is there an obedient response I need to make today to change my trajectory for the future we talked about trajectory we talked about eternal life can begin now and that sets you on a trajectory so that whatever is in the future and exactly what that looks like we know it's good we know it's healing we know it's the presence of God but whatever that is I'm actually on a trajectory to intersect that and maybe you, you recognise even as I've spoken there have been decisions, there have been moments, some of them may be out of your control, but it hasn't put your trajectory towards that kind of future. It's actually your trajectory is headed somewhere else. I want to give you an opportunity as I close to change trajectory. So just while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Friend, if you're in this place and maybe you've, you've never let Jesus come too near, maybe you've intentionally held him off or, or possibly... You once walked with Jesus, but you've held him off now for some time. I just want to give you the opportunity to open your heart this morning. Now is a perfect time to let the kingdom of heaven invade you, affect you, enter you, begin to shape you. Now is a perfect time. And so, just so we're all here, and I think we're in the presence of friends, respectfully, our eyes are closed. But I'd like to know who, I want to, who I'm going to pray with because I'd love to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you, not going to call you out. But come on today, if you would say, I need Jesus in my life. And again, maybe for the first time ever or maybe for the first time in a long time, if that's you, would you just raise your hand up? I want to acknowledge it. I want to pray with you. God bless you. Yeah, I saw your hand. Others in this place, come on. Yep, God bless you, mate. That is wonderful. Others in this place, yep, God bless you. I see you there. God bless you. Others in this place, just make sure you give me a little wave so I can see it. It's really hard to see through the lights, but uh, yeah, God bless. Yeah, I see you. God bless you. That's wonderful. Up the back there, you can put your hand down. That's, that's fine. That's great. It's absolutely wonderful. Just anyone else, I'm just going to look around one more time. Just anyone else, and you're just like, don't, don't miss me. I want to be in this. Can we just pray together, church? And if you've raised your hand and responded, then this prayer is for you. Heavenly Father, as your people together gathered in this place, we pray for these precious people that are making their way towards you in faith. And we're probably, most of us in this room, we've been there. We know, you don't know it all. You don't understand it all. But in your heart of hearts, you know, this is the response God is calling me to. So Father, we, we thank you for meeting them in their heart of hearts right now. Thank you for touching them. We thank you for reassuring them of your forgiveness, of your love and of your grace. And we thank you for filling them with the power of the Holy Spirit so that they can follow you with a single heart in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. We're going to manifest the kingdom this week, church. Mike's going to come. He's just going to share a little bit so that folk who responded know maybe how, what you can do before you leave. That will help your journey. So let's welcome Mike. Thank you. Can we you. stand right now? Thank you, Pastor Chris.